For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to, the, to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light to everyone or for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Thanks, Britt. All right. Who are you? Who are you? It's a question that sometimes gets asked, but maybe we don't give it enough weight or with enough consideration in our lives. Who are you? And does that really make a difference? Like, for example, are you a high school student? Are you a middle school student? Are you a college student? Or uh, I wish I was a student? Are you graduated? Um, Are you a son? Are you a daughter? Uh, Do you like to do mechanical things with cars? (laughs) Uh, Are you good at music? Or you may be not good at music, but you just appreciate music. What defines you? Uh, Are you artistic? Are you creative? Or maybe you analytical and very concrete and detail-oriented and systematic, would you make a good engineer? Like, who are you? That's a key question. Well, as we get to Ephesians 3, we've been talking about identity and this idea of who you are. And we finally see Paul tell us who he is. Right? It says right there at the beginning, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. So Paul refers to himself, he identifies himself as a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And now, I don't think he's just being cute. You know, I don't think he's just coming up like, well, I've been a slave. I've been the least of the apostles. I've been the greatest chief sinner. Well, what could I be now? Well, I don't, maybe a prisoner, 
Right? He's not just being cute. <laughs> he is saying this, I think, because we have to consider <laughs> delayed laughter. We have to consider Paul's circumstances. He says he's a prisoner for Christ Jesus based on his circumstances. Now, Ephesians is one of Paul's prison epistles, meaning a letter that he wrote while he was in prison. And his circumstances aren't so great, as you can imagine, but maybe more than you can imagine. The prison system uh, in the Roman Empire isn't like the, the very, like, comfy, nice prison system, I guess, that we have today. It's not, uh, you get to watch TV, you get outside time, you get three square meals a day, like, uh, you get to go walk around and talk with people. That's not the Roman prison system. That was like, uh, they didn't feed you. You depended on people who loved you and cared for you to come and bring you food. It wasn't like a comfy place. It was a very uncomfortable place. And I'm willing to bet that Paul did a significant amount of suffering while he was in prison. He even mentions it later in the passage. Now, what kind of things might have been going through Paul's mind as he finds himself in prison, yet he knows at the same time that he is an apostle with a God-given mission to go spread the gospel plant churches, tell people about the divine mystery of Christ. How do you hold those two intention or balance those or reconcile those in your mind? I'm supposed to be out doing something, being something, and telling something, yet I'm in a terrible circumstance, can't go anywhere, talk to anyone, or do anything. Right? But he, when he identifies himself... He refers to himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, not a prisoner of Rome, not a prisoner over the local governor of uh, his circumstances, not a prisoner of the warden of prison, prison guards who is in charge of keeping an eye on him and keeping him imprisoned. He's not a prisoner of them. He's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Meaning that what he finds himself doing and what he finds himself being in this moment as he's writing happens to be a prisoner. Yet he is that for Christ Jesus. His present circumstances, he is that for Christ Jesus. All right. Um... So we'll, we'll touch more on that in a little bit. Um, how many of you like in and out Good. I'll put... Give you like two hands. Oh, poor Jenny. Jenny. She just became a vegetarian, for those who don't know. Which means the in and out is no longer in her vocabulary. I'm... <laughs> yeah, you guys really pray for Jenny. I... Okay. <laughs> she is. 
All right. Well, we we have we'll have a prayer circle afterwards. You know, a powwow. Let's sing kumbaya and hold hands. I don't know. And then we'll feed you some beef. We'll take her to In and Out. Okay. We'll anoint her with beef oil. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, let's not get too lost. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I love In and Out. Uh, anybody who knows me knows I love In and Out. And maybe saying love In and Out is like an understatement. I, I don't know if some of you guys understand, but I went through a seven-year In-N-Out drought when I lived up in the Northwest, and I didn't have ready access to this beefy goodness that is In-N-Out, right? It was the sporadic, like maybe once or twice a year, flights down here for the holidays or for vacation or something to see my family, that I would immediately hop off a plane into whatever mode of transportation I could find and find my way to in and out It was the first place every time, right? And now, what is in and out all about, right? In my mind, it's the divine unfolding mystery of Christ Jesus himself is in and out manifested in patty form right but no I'm kidding but what what is so great what makes in and out so great uh, you see you show up there and before you even enter the building you've got the the beefy wafting scent coming at your face and just beckoning you in if you enter the parking lot and you have any sense at all I'm convinced you can't turn around there's no going back you've drawn in they've got the tractor beam on you sucked you right in right so you go into the in and out and everything is clean I'd even say pristine Everything is tidy. Everybody who works there is wearing white. There's like seven people sweeping the floor and wiping tables, right? There's just like this buzz chatter of everybody who is like talking and eating and munching their burgers, right? And there's the people who are behind the counter ready to take your orders. And they're they're like so happy. They are happier than any other fast food restaurant employees that I've ever met. And that's not a joke. Like, mostly fast food employees are just, like, it's it's not a, it's a J-O-B. You know, it's a job. It's just a, just go to work and do this. Like, you wouldn't expect joyful happiness coming out of some Taco Bell employees, right? No, they're, they're very unhappy to be working at Taco Bell, but it pays the bills or something, right? But... In and out, there's like this thing. There's like this joy and exuberance that comes from being an in and out employee. And and it's contagious. Like you walk in the door and you're taking part in something. You're becoming part of this like community centered around beefy patties or something. And you go up to the register and you get all specific with your order, right? 
and you can see in the back, and there's the guy chopping the potatoes, right? You're like, those are about to be mine, right? And there's the guy flipping the burgers, right? And then he's also like tossing the grilled onions, right? And you could smell this, and it's all like this aroma is wafting towards you, and the drive through is going on. There's so many things going on, right? And no one of those things itself, by itself, makes in and out, in and out, right? It's not just the joy behind the counter. It's not just the delicious grilled onions or the the cold, crisp lettuce that's perfect every time and never brown or anything or wilty, right? It's, It's not just these things. It's not that the patties are fresh and warm, hot off the grill, and the cheese is all melty and oozing every time. It's not any one of those things in particular. It's all of it. Right? It's the culmination. It's like the in and out symphony. Right? It's, it's the combination of everything happening at once. The smell, the taste. But really, what is... In and out all about. What do they say in and out is all about? It's the finished product that you get when they call your number, right? The long anticipated red plastic tray of delight, right? And you get it, and this right here, this, the burger, that is what in and out is all about. Right? And as you enjoy it and as you partake, you experience everything that all those little burger flippers, order takers, floor sweepers, and everybody participated to produce. Right? And it's in and out, I'll tell you themselves. In and out, it's what a hamburger is all about. It's, it's the finished product, the burger, right? It's the culmination of all these things happening in unison and in symphony and toward the same purpose. And that purpose is delicious goodness in your belly, right? Well, anyway, that was a long, drawn-out example to tell us about the unfolding mystery of God in Christ Jesus. (laughs) All right. Well, let's let's keep reading. We'll find out more as we go. This is all going to make sense very soon. (laughs) The colors, their applause. They're like, yes, that is it. So let's pick up in verse 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Right? Or in and out or Christ or whatever. It doesn't make a difference. It does. I'm kidding. Um, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. Verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Paul says what the mystery is. He goes, is it's that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Two, they are members of the same body. Three, they are partakers in the promises 
in Christ Jesus through the gospel. These are the things that he says are the mystery. But I want to point something out. (laughs) Just like with the in and out illustration. These elements by themselves are not the mystery. They are not the fulfillment and the culmination. The Gentiles also being partakers. The Gentiles also being fellow heirs. And um, members of the same body. These things by themselves are not the mystery. But these are essential elements that culminate in what is the real mystery. What Paul says earlier, he says, the mystery of Christ. Get it? Christ is the finished product in and out burger that we see and taste and know that the Lord is good. You know what I'm saying? Uh, let's keep reading. <laughs> of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery that has been hidden for ages, the long-anticipated mystery has been hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart what I am suffering for you. He's saying, listen, don't worry about the fact that I'm suffering right now and in prison. I know you're concerned for that, concerned for me, and I'm concerned for you, but don't worry about that. Now what, question, what would possess a man like Paul in his present circumstances to say, listen, don't worry about me. In fact, I think he could say that of himself, that he's not worried for him. And why? Right? Why does he identify himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles? Why does he say these things? Where is his identity? Where is his purpose? Where is his going about his daily life? Where is it found? Well, I think that we can say this about Paul. His scope or his view of life and his understanding is not so narrow. It's something much bigger. You see, when he sees his present sufferings at the hands of prison guards... He doesn't think suffering at the hands of prison guards. Right? And then when he's 
trying to reconcile these two realities. I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus, entrusted by grace with the knowledge and revelation of the gospel, which past generations did not know about, which they did not understand. I have been entrusted with this truth and this revelation to go preach it, communicate it, and raise up community centered around it. How does he reconcile that with, I'm in prison? It's because he sees something much bigger. And he really grasps in like his internal being. It's really penetrated him. And it's become internalized. It's become a part of him. What the unfolding mystery of Christ really is. And I think we can say of Paul in the circumstance. And just by the things that he says. The way he identifies himself. And what he says to this community in Ephesus. When he tells them, don't you worry about me. Because I don't know about you, but if I were Paul, I'd be telling everybody, hey, worry about me, right? But his faith is so deep. His trust and understanding in the gospel for what it really is, is so deep that he knows that even his present circumstances of suffering in prison being completely out of control of his own life, his present circumstances are a piece in the puzzle of what God is working out in creation, in his community of his people, that he has redeemed and chosen and predestined, that everything that the Roman government is doing Everything that his friends are doing that maybe please him or displease him. All of these things are working together and they are threads that God is weaving to culminate in Christ Jesus, right? Our in and out burger per se, right? Do you see what's going on here? He is saying that Everything, despite how we understand it, despite how limited our understanding is of our circumstances and our family circumstances and friends and people we care about, all of these things are working together for God's eternal purposes, as Paul puts it. Everything in history, every story of every person, every family, Every king, every peasant, every Christian, every non-Christian is headed one direction through time. And it is God working all of this out, both the good and the bad, for his eternal purposes. And that is that those who are in him remain with him eternally. And those who choose to turn their backs on him... They're judged eternally. That's something to point out about our community. Our community is not just the here and now. It's not just the narrow scope. It's not just our present sufferings. It's not just the conflict or the tension or the, the, the tiffs or disagreements about theology or any of these things. 
our community is an eternal community with eternal purposes. And those purposes, those eternal purposes, which are God's, Paul can say, and I believe with joy in his heart, things like, I'm a prisoner prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And he could say this, don't you worry about me. Because he has internalized and really made a part of himself and his identity and understanding of the world. The fact that God is working everything out for his eternal purposes. He sees the hand of God working in everyday situations. And it's like, I don't know, it's like the last five minutes of the movie Inception. Where there's like a dream within a dream within a dream. And they're like, I didn't know you could do that. Right? And, and these people are all working, it seems like, separately doing different things and there's different three different timelines that you have to keep track of and you're like holy cow and they're all like they have to accomplish something in this dream within a dream within a dream all working seemingly separately but towards the same purpose mission and goal so that in the last five minutes this huge overarching story that's been told throughout the whole movie it all comes together in the last five minutes and you're like oh my gosh you know like I couldn't have seen that coming I can't believe all the timing was perfect I can't believe everything worked out just how they wanted it to work out like that's the eternal purposes of God in Christ Jesus do you see that He's working out every up and down, every conflict, every war, every battle, all of creation, everything that we think is a problem, everything that we think is situations beyond our control. He is working it together like the last five minutes of Inception or like a really good In-N-Out burger. All these purposes that seem to be separate and unattached will become attached, connected, and realized in Christ Jesus. That's crazy. That even means us. That even means the sinners. So that when we look at our lives and we go, Oh man, I'm this like back and forth person. I can't stop sinning. It's, it's like what Paul says, That which I want to do, I don't do. And that which I don't want to do, I do. I don't understand how I'm a saint and yet I still sin and occasionally walk in the lust of the flesh and I can't make sense of these two things. Well, these two things will make sense when at the end of time, when God has worked in us through his Holy Spirit, every one of us believers who puts our faith in Christ is now conformed to the image of Christ So that just as Christ himself stands before the Father, perfect, blameless, and holy, glorified, that will also be us. Perfect, holy, blameless, and glorified. And all the things that we currently don't have an answer for, well, sometimes you never, unfortunately, this isn't very uplifting, maybe, possibly. But the things in life that we currently don't have an answer for, Sometimes you just don't have an answer for. 
But really what Paul grasps onto is the big picture. It's something much bigger. It's not the narrow, it's the big. He says, in the grand scheme of things, I am going to be made like Christ. I am going to be right before the Father. I am going to be living in an eternal community together with my Lord and Savior, worshiping Him forever. That's how everything works out in the end. Don't you see? So that when present circumstances seem to threaten that, Paul embraces that. He doesn't say, I don't want to be a prisoner any longer. He does say, I'm a prisoner and I'm that for Christ Jesus. Because this is part of his plan. This is working out to become part of his eternal purposes. Me being in prison, I'm embracing that. I'm a prisoner, yes, but I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. So when we ask these questions like, who are you? Whatever you are, be that for Christ Jesus. You don't have to become something else in particular. You don't have to stop liking what you like and loving what you love and become anything different. If you love music, if you work on cars, if you're a student, a soon-to-be student, a used-to-be student, if you want to be married someday, if you want to have kids someday, if you want to be like a wife who stays home and is the most perfect wife there ever was, like be that and be that for Christ Jesus. Understanding full well that that is a part of his eternal purposes. Don't think that any position is less significant. Don't think that any place in society or task or role or work that you have to do is somehow insignificant and disconnected from the eternal purposes of God. Because each one of us, whatever we are doing, wherever we find ourselves in life, if we are in Christ Jesus, he is working in that situation, in that avenue, in our lives, in and through us, making us to be like Jesus and working through us to bring about his will in the lives of people around us so that at the end of time, just as the in and out burger is presented full and complete and holy to you at the day that you walk into in and out we will present it, we will be presented full and complete and holy before God the Father in Christ Jesus so that he will look on us and say, with you I am well pleased. Right? So wherever we are in life, be that for Christ Jesus. Don't let go of that. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you that you are working in history, in our relationships, and in powers and authorities and God, you are working against the forces of sin and death to bring about your eternal purposes. God, you are doing things that are mysterious that we can't understand right now. God, things that weren't revealed to past generations, 
things that they didn't understand, things that still even we don't understand. But God, but help us embrace the mystery. Help us embrace where we are in life and help us to be exactly where we are and be that for Christ Jesus on behalf of our neighbors and in love for them. So Lord, strengthen us, strengthen our faith to be able to accept wherever it is you have us. God, and show us evidence that you're working in our lives to bring about your purposes. In Jesus' precious name, amen.